to From Believing to Being, a podcast about pursuing meaningful spirituality after faith deconstruction. We're your hosts. I'm Karen. And I'm Dave. We're two former evangelicals having an ongoing conversation about what life and spirituality look like after letting go of our religious beliefs. Join us as we discuss deconstruction, Christianity, mysticism, enlightenment, and consciousness, And most importantly, how to experience this new way of being in the midst of parenting, careers, and going about our everyday lives. If you've recently left your faith or simply feeling pulled into a deeper way of being, we hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you and really just reassure you that you're not alone on this journey. Welcome back, everybody, to episode eight. I think, right? I think so. <laughs> eight, yeah. I'm pretty sure we're on number eight. Uh, we're, we'll lose track eventually and we'll stop listing each episode number uh, at some point. But welcome back. Uh, as always, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate it. And yeah, this week we are talking about, I, don't, I guess I don't know that we have a specific uh, topic in mind, but um, <laughs> we're talking about in light of COVID. I mean, initially, I think like a lot of people were like, oh, you know, COVID's the last thing we want to talk about. But because it gets talked about so much, right? Uh, so it's, it's nice to kind of get, get up, up for a little air from, from that dialogue that seems to dominate so much of the general discourse. But we, we were thinking about it in light of just all of the chaos and suffering and all of the stuff that has come out of it. There's a good chance if, if you're listening that you've been impacted by it some way, shape or form. I mean, I think both Karen and I would say um, it hasn't really manifested in, in major ways in our lives, just more subtleties of our day to day. So we really wanted to dive into that, really talking about our own experiences of some of the other things that we've experienced in life that was chaotic or suffering and really get to the meat of how we've used these other things we're talking about, right? This, this deeper way of being tuning into consciousness that, that undergirds our experience. How can we use these experiences to tap further into that? So that's what we're talking about this week, I guess, right? Um, so, so Karen, I guess I'll, I'll turn it over to you there and we'll just see, see where it goes. What are, what are some of your initial thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I mean, I was the one who originally brought up the idea of addressing COVID, but I like what you had said earlier before we started about the general idea of suffering mm-hmm. and I know we've talked about that or mentioned it in other episodes. And I think one of the best places to start maybe is, you know, by what do we mean by that? And then I guess like using COVID as an example, you know, for me, when I, when I first started getting interested in this consciousness space, there was this talk of suffering and I didn't really understand what it meant until, because, you know, when I think of suffering, I think of I think of pain, right? I think of physical pain. And I was sort of surprised when, who was it? I don't know if it was Roar or if it was maybe Eckhart Tolle or something who mentioned the idea of the mental suffering. 
like the mental anguish that we cause ourselves. And that was a huge turning point in my understanding, even of just, you know, the idea of like being present in the moment, because the way that they talked about suffering was they differentiated between suffering and pain. So whenever we talk about avoiding, not like avoiding suffering or overcoming suffering, transcending suffering, we're not necessarily talking about physical pain, you know, or trying to deny that someone is enduring physical pain and telling them like, oh, well, you know, you can overcome that suffering. Most of the, the writers in this consciousness space, whenever they talk about suffering, they're talking about the mental suffering that we experience whenever we dwell on the past or project into the future and imagine into the future. And one of the things I thought was kind of interesting and maybe like a little, had been a little breadcrumb for me is that several years ago, gosh, maybe even like five or six years ago, there was this podcast called Don't Mom Alone. I think it was Heather Heather McFadden. And it was a very Christian podcast, but she would interview people. And there was this elderly woman that she interviewed who is you know, like in her late eighties or early nineties, I think. And she had this quote that was, there is no grace for your imagination. And it was again, in a very evangelical Christian context, but she was just saying that when something, when we imagine something bad happening, our imagination cannot comprehend or allow for the grace that might be present in that bad moment. Mm. And so her advice, this elderly woman's advice was to not believe your imagination when it tells you how bad something is going to be because your imagination, like, obviously you're going to go to like this worst case scenario, but you never know what grace, what relief, what beauty is going to be found in that moment. And so I had like, that was my favorite quote for years that there's no grace for your imagination. I thought that was so beautiful. And in the context of suffering, you know, it's just really helpful, I think, to remember that our imagination can go to all sorts of places, whether it's, whether it is dwelling in the past or projecting into the future, but in those imagined scenarios, it doesn't allow for the grace or the beauty or the good that could actually happen in the moment. So, um, I don't know why I just said that, but back to, back to the suffering thing. I mean, do you, do you see suffering that way? Is it being the mental anguish that we cause ourselves when we're thinking of things other than just being focused in the present? Yeah, absolutely. I, I resonate hundred percent with that. And let me just say real quick to anyone listening, that's experiencing any acute suffering right now suffering is such a loaded term. It can mean so many things and, and we'll talk about it more here. I, I like that because it's such a prevalent thing, but I just want to point out that by no means is what we'll talk about here to make light of any of that. Um, mm-hmm. It is, it's difficult to bear. There's so much to it uh, in, in thousands of different angles. And we'll talk about that a little bit, but we're not making light of any of it. The answer to someone who is in suffering is never, well, 
this is what really is underneath it, right? Or mm-hmm. um, this is this good thing may come of it, right? It's it's more of just being present to it, I guess, mm-hmm. both as as uh, people outside looking in and the one experiencing it. So um, I, I have a feeling that 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 our conversation here will get pretty esoteric and that's great. I, I love these, these topics, but I, I want to put that caveat in the beginning because it could come across as an invalidation of whatever the suffering is that anyone listening might be experiencing. And I just want to say that on, on that uh, in the very beginning, but yeah, so I see suffering as yeah, the mental response to pain or, or unpleasantness uh, the Buddhist term, or I shouldn't call it the Buddhist term. I think it's either Pali or Sanskrit. There's different uh, original languages that that uh, the different sacred texts are written in. And the word is dukkha. And a lot of times it's translated as suffering. But my understanding of it is it, it would best translate as unsatisfactoriness. That word just doesn't play as well as, as suffering. And the, the, the path is to find liberation from dukkha. So I understand it to be our mental clinging to circumstances is, is the primary cause. And I'll, I'll give an example that was arising as you're speaking, Karen, is Ram Das, who, for anyone who doesn't know, is, uh, was a you know, significant Western individual professor of psychology from Harvard, gotten a little troubled doing experiments on, on LSD, got kicked out and then went, went to India and totally changed and became a, a Western teacher that brought Indian concept, Indian spiritual concepts to, to the U S he tells a story about how he would go to the dentist and he would be very clear if he needed a procedure, he would not ask for any sort of pain relief because he wanted to experience it. So the way he would speak of that is he would be at the dentist going through this painful procedure because he didn't want any sort of numbing device and he would experience it. And he says, I wouldn't be suffering, but I would be going through pain because he was completely okay with the pain that he was experiencing he chose to, to have that pain and he made that conscious decision to just allow the pain to happen. And therefore he was not suffering. And so that's always really stuck in my mind as a, a great example of, of how to look at suffering, how to look at suffering as compared to pain. That's a really good example. And actually, as you were, as you were saying that, you know, what I thought about was, um, delivering my kids. So with my mm-hmm. first son, I, you know, I had really wanted to do an unmedicated birth and that was, that was my desire. But at a certain point, I, what they would call transition, I lost it. And like, I, I just was so unprepared for the mm-hmm. physical pain of it. But whenever I got the epidural, the amount of medication that they gave me was like so overwhelming to my system. Mm. Like I literally, it, it did not feel like I had a lower half of my body, mm. but my son ended up going into distress. Like at a point, his heart rate dropped and the doc, you know, the doctor and the nurses were telling me to push. And I'm like, I can't feel anything. I have no mm. idea what my body is doing. And 
it was interesting because I was not feeling any pain, Mm -hmm. but mentally I was really suffering because all I could think of is I've had this totally uneventful, easy pregnancy. And now at the last moment, like, I mean, they were using forceps and like the suction device to try to get him to come out. And I was so close to having to do an emergency C-section hmm. and, and thankfully, like I, I didn't have to, but I mean, I was afterwards, I had a really hard time bonding with my son. Cause it was, it felt like such a traumatic moment. Then with my second son, I was very adamant that I didn't want any medication that I would rather endure the physical pain but be able to have control over my body because not being able to help my kid, like not being able to help my baby because I had an epidural was awful. It was such a horrible feeling. And then with my second son though, I experienced every single moment of the physical pain and yet I did not suffer. Like Mm -hmm. after he, you know, after he was born, I was in tears and I looked at my husband. I was just like, that was amazing. And it's so, it, it, yeah, what you were saying about Ram Dass, it's like, it's such a perfect example that you can be in, phys- in in great physical pain and yet not be suffering, or you could have no pain in the moment, but have incredible mental suffering. I think your story about your first son is perhaps a brilliant definition of suffering because it would suggest that the avoidance of pain leads to suffering, which sounds very paradoxical, right? But, but we do it all the time Mm -hmm. Um, because for example, when we are going through something difficult, a lot of the suffering comes from not wanting to be going through it, resisting it. Yes. hundred percent. So when, when we make, the conscious decision in each moment to accept what you're in rather than avoid it, resist it, want something different than the suffering that we speak of. Again, suffering insofar as we're defining it it Mm -hmm. from these more consciousness, esoteric types of spiritual paths. Yeah. So when we, when we accept the circumstance that we're in completely rather than avoiding whatever that pain is, Mm-hmm. suffering ceases to be mm-hmm. the summer. I mean, there's lots to be said about COVID. I feel like, I feel like probably the biggest thing about COVID, right. Is, mm-hmm. is the global like resistance right. yeah. that we see <laughs> to mm-hmm. it. I was just thinking like how to understand and think about suffering versus a physical pain. So the summer of 2020, I had this really crazy thing happen. We had just gotten back from a long trip to middle of nowhere, Utah. The night that we got home, a friend of mine needed just some comfort and friendship and stuff. And so she and I had gone for a walk and I came home and woke up just with this incredible stomach pain. And at first I thought like, oh, maybe it was food poisoning or something, but the pain was, was so bad. And we thought, okay, maybe it's like an appendix. Maybe it's something going on. So this was summer of 2020. So of course I'm thinking, well, I don't want to go to the hospital. Like I don't, I want to go to the hospital. I don't really want to go to the doctor because COVID was everywhere. Everybody was freaking out. Everything was shut down. But my husband was like, no, you really, you really need to go get this checked out. So I went to urgent care and the doctor 
there was like, yeah, you definitely have something going on. It's either your appendix or your pancreas. And as soon as he said the word pancreas, my heart dropped because my dad died of pancreatic cancer. Mm, And so, and the way that his cancer, like the first sign that we had of his cancer was he had eaten something and then he ended up with this incredible stomach pain. And so in my, in my head, I immediately was like, the doctor said pancreas, my dad had pancreatic cancer. Oh my God. Like this Mm -hmm. is it. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, the doctor said you need to go to the hospital and get cat scan or something, you know, get it, get it taken care of. So we go to the hospital and because again, it's COVID nobody can come in with you. So my husband can't come in. The kids can't be there. You know, he, my husband drops me off at the emergency room and then he's gone. And I'm just like sitting there in the hospital by myself, you know, and I didn't even want to like clue my husband into what I was thinking about. And so in my head, I'm sitting there in the, in the emergency room with my mind going a thousand miles an hour, like, Oh my God, what if this is pancreatic cancer? There's no cure for pancreatic cancer. It's like a maximum of five years. My dad, my dad didn't even live for two, like, oh my God, oh my God. And all of this just chaos going in, in my mind. And finally I had to rein myself in and just be like, like, what is true now? Okay. What is true now? The truth is I have some sort of pain inside and I don't know what it is. And I'm going to find out like, you know, physically I was having some pain, but mentally like the mental suffering was beyond any of the physical. It was all just my thoughts trying to make meaning of this pain and all of my fears coming forth. That happens so much, right? As we get like a glimpse of something in the present moment, there couldn't actually, like maybe there's not even anything wrong, but our minds just like all of the fears and all of the, you know, anxiety just all comes up from the bottom and clouds your mind. That is the mental suffering is all of those thoughts that just pour forth. And in the moment, sometimes you feel like, you know, it can be really hard to get the, the courage or to have like the presence of being to stop them. Right. And, and even that, I mean, it goes to like what we've talked about before with like the consciousness stuff of, of being aware of the fact that you're not your thoughts and being able to step out into that observer place and be like, okay, I don't have to follow all my thoughts over the cliff, but it can be really hard. It can be really hard to pull yourself out of that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's another example of why having to practice of something as simple as meditation is so important. That practice that is basically grounding oneself and being able to watch thoughts. Really, mm-hmm. I mean, how important is that? Because then when rubber meets the road and the, the real trial comes, you've done all this practice to say, oh, these are just thoughts happening. This isn't true. This isn't real. So yeah, something else that's coming to mind is... <clears throat> I think it's something that we may have touched on last week or last episode, I should say, when we were talking about the surrender, right? Two, two interesting themes here, th- surrender and, and suffering. And it's something that Eckhart Tolle says that surrender comes from 
two places. One is acute suffering or hardship or whatever. And Mm -hmm. the other is through sustained present moment practice. And so it's interesting how they both lead us to see exactly what you're saying. Like you get to this point where you're like, your thoughts are so unmanageable that you have to just let it go. Right. And Mm -hmm. just be like, no, like all of these thoughts are just my mind racing, going nuts, but it takes sometimes that very acute event. Right. I mean, that's, I can, it's interesting too. The other thing that came to mind when you're talking about the interesting element of your dad's experience. So, okay. So now you have a fusion of really intense thoughts from the past and emotions, of course, Mm -hmm. thoughts and emotions and intense thoughts and emotions in the future. Right. And Mm -hmm. they're, they're creating this chemical concoction that's explosive because your, your emotions go back to this experience you had, you had with your dad. And then emotions are in the future of like, what happens if I die? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a terrifying thought. It's, it's maybe the most scary thought that we all have. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, how the mind races and races and races to a point where it's like, well, you know what? I give up. I, I can't handle this. I need to be here now and, and approach whatever the problems are right now and how like peaceful that can be. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of talk about spiritual bypassing and gaslighting mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, these days. And I think that this is the difference is that if you haven't fully grasped the fact that you're not your your thoughts, you do, you may not always have the ability to control your thoughts, right? Like sometimes you're like, oh, you can control your thoughts. Just choose not to think that it's like, well, sometimes you, your mind can just be crazy. And you're like, you cannot control your thoughts, Mm -hmm. but we have a choice not to follow them. We have a choice to recognize that they are just thoughts, that they are not a hundred percent true. If you haven't realized that or like fully grounded yourself in that or, or develop some sort of practice like meditation or something to be able to, to step into that position of like, okay, I have a thousand thoughts going through my head but I don't have to follow them. I can let them just like keep going and going and going, but I don't have to hold on to them and, and follow them. Then it can feel like spiritual bypassing, right. For someone to be like, well, you know, you're not your thoughts. You don't have to believe your thoughts. That, that is true. But if you're not the person that has, that has fully grasped that it's really hard to, to believe that. And I think that, you know, that's, that's one of the huge things I'm so grateful because by that point, when, when I was in the hospital, I was really new into all of this stuff. And I had only deconstructed my evangelical faith for like four months, maybe at that point, but I had found, I had read this book by Cynthia Borgel called centering prayer. And I had come across the cloud of unknowing. And the whole idea with centering prayer is that you pick one word really short Mm -hmm. and, you know, you sort of can use it as a mantra in the beginning, but basically it's just supposed to be an anchor for you to, so that whenever your thoughts are going crazy, you just come back to this one word. And it is sort of like a drawing you like creating a distance between you and your thoughts. That was the practice that was able to ground me when I was having all those crazy thoughts. I just was like, okay, well, like peace, 
peace, you know, and I would let the thoughts keep going and going. And I would just try to turn my attention to my word peace. Mm -hmm. For me, that's an important distinction to make that it's not, it's not saying that someone's fears aren't valid. Like you were saying earlier, it's not saying that person's fears aren't valid or that their concerns aren't valid or that they're not experiencing a physical pain or whatever. We're not saying that, but recognizing that ability to recognize that you are not your thoughts and you do not have to be attached to them and believe them as hundred percent true and go crazy with them. But having some sort of spiritual practice that helps you stay centered in that space as the watcher of the thoughts and not the thought itself is so important. So important. Yeah. And as you said, spiritual bypass earlier, it's a term that we don't hear much about. And I think it can be applied in different ways. But this story from my own life, it was just this year. So earlier in 2021, I had what I would actually look back and and call a spiritual bypass in a point of very acute pain because of what I've learned. And, And I'll share that in a second, but it but that's, that can be the danger of knowing these things and even what the Bible says, right? I think, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, suffering leads to perseverance. And I, I've had enough experiences now. I've learned enough through the different traditions that all would agree that very acute suffering or very acute pain that we experience suffering through is for our good. <laughs> I think that can be a pitfall for bypassing. And for my story, um, I won't go into details, but I had a really, really significant relationship fallout earlier in 2021. And the emotions were all over the place in the first like week or so. And I remember being re- one of the emotions. I remember being really excited because I'm like, this is really, really hard, very difficult but I was so excited because I'm like, oh, great. This is, this is a trial for me to go through and I, I will, it will help me grow spiritually. And I remember being so excited about it. It's just funny how it's almost like I want to go back and be like, it doesn't work that way. And, and I feel like I even knew it at the time. Like we can't like will ourselves to grow from a, a bad experience. You know what I mean? But it's easy to, to think that way, even for ourselves. I mean, I would never say that to another person. That would just be insane. But to myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, it's funny the things we tell ourselves that we would never tell another person. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, what I was telling myself is like, this is good. This is good. You, you will grow from this. And, and the, the paradox is like, I, I do think so. Like, right. Like we do grow through hardships, but then we bypass like actually being with it. Right. We, we project into the future so we can project into the future of a painful circumstance, both in a bad way and in a good way, both of which take us out of being in the experience and, and allowing it to do its work, whatever that may be. Yeah. And it's true that whenever you go through something hard and, you know, now I, I think that I can have a, a little bit more of a neutral stance. I mean, I don't know, but you know, when I look back on things that I really, that I really struggled with, I think it's funny that you say that. So you know, part of my story is, um, is having chosen a chemical abortion, um, when I was 25 and because of the time I, I had considered myself a Christian, like there was a lot of mental suffering of 
how do I reconcile this choice that I made to have an abortion with the things that I believed? And that mental suffering, I mean, went on, you know, with varying intensity for over a decade Mm -hmm. before I really was like, I cannot deal with this. Like, I'm so tired of feeling like I have to hide and be ashamed of this. Like I've got to, I've, I've got to dig deeper into this, but now that I've done all of that, all of that deeper work. And I have like dealt with all the shame and all that kind of stuff. It's funny. Cause I can feel myself being like, well, you just have to do this self-inquiry process, you know, and, and kind of like what you're saying, being careful with people yeah. to not make light of their suffering, just because mm-hmm. you have a different, a different view on it now. And it does take a, a different sort of maturity and humility to remain in that place of acknowledging the suffering and practicing the compassion without going into like, well, I know the answer (laughs) because like, Mm -hmm. I couldn't have heard, you know, if, if someone would have come to me when I was in that, you know, that dark place, if someone would have come and been like, well, you know, you're not your thoughts. It's like, no, I I wouldn't have been able to hear it. That would have felt so did like so dismissive of my experience. And that's the interesting thing too, about so much of this work is that it's so personal, you know, in some of the books and stuff that we read, they talk about it being grace that you are drawn to a point where you even want to deal with it. And Mm -hmm. I mean, people can tell you, you know, can, can tell you this advice or these insights until they're blue in the face, but if you're not ready to hear it, you, you can't accept it. And that readiness is all to do with just you and like the greater whatever that is out there drawing you to a point where you're like, okay, I've, I've suffered so much and I am ready to not suffer anymore. Like, let me hear, let me, let me figure it out. Let me go deeper into this. You really do have to be, have to be ready to hear it, or it will feel like that that bypassing or like an invalidation of your experience. Yeah. It's interesting idea about it being a grace. I'd like to talk about that a little more because I feel strongly about that for tangent for a second here, but it's interesting the word grace, right? I mean, we, we both come from the evangelical Christian tradition where grace is, you know, by the grace of God, you are saved through faith in Jesus or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, God's riches at Christ's expense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it's acronym, it's right. It's a very loaded, very um, probably traumatizing term to some people in our circles, yeah. right? Because of what what's underneath it usually. Mm-hmm. So a- anyway, it's it's just an interesting thing that it took it took me a while to reconcile to see grace as a as a helpful term. I'll, I'll say mm-hmm. that way. But as I look at my own experience and the various spiritual shifts that I've had shifts in my perspective where everything changed through those types of moments, often through difficult, painful moments. I look back at them and would call them grace because it was something that just felt like it was a gift given to me of no doing of my own. I I don't know how to describe it other than like, it's not something I tried to do, right? It just came to me through Mm. the circumstances of life. So I'd like to, yeah, maybe hear a little more about your perspective on that. Cause I think it's, 
it's important to, to, to think about. Um, and it can be dangerous because then we can be like, well, there's nothing we do, right? It's all something that that's done like kind of a, a more cosmic order of things. Um, so then, yeah, how do we reconcile that piece of it too, you know? I'm trying to remember there was, there was a talk that uh, I think Rupert Spira gave where he was talking about how a moment when you get the glimpse, when you have that feeling of like, okay, I'm done with suffering. I'm ready. And that there is a sort of, or there can be a sort of that openness, just the ability to to open your mind to like let go of the resistance, maybe like you let go of the resistance, you drop the resistance and you say, okay, fine, whatever it is, I'm, I'm done. So that moment where you let go of the resistance, that is something that, that feels like it's coming from a deep part of us. Right. And that there's something else though that is drawing you or that maybe is just there in the resistance and that that is the invitation like that is the grace that is the recognition that there is something else holding you reminds me a little bit of like he he talked to about how there's the you know, there's a room, right? So like if you go, if you go into a room, there can be a bunch of stuff in the room, but even if you take everything out of the room, there is still something there. Like the room isn't empty, right? There's still something there, even though you look around and there's no contents, there still is a, a, a sense of presence, something in the room. Room is still a room, even though there's no contents. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, kind of that idea that like we have a, we have a feeling sometimes that if we, that if we let go of all the resistance, if we let go of everything that we, that there's nothing there. Right. But there is, there's something still there that is, that is holding us, that is buoying us up. And that is the grace. I don't know. I'm not explaining it very well, but I mean, the other, and like what you were saying too, um, it reminded me of how when my deconstruction happened, when I had my mystical experience of someone like, like hearing, you know, me hearing a voice of someone saying, is this true? Is everything that you're writing and believing true? I didn't see it as a good thing, but what was funny is like, after I let after I, after I entered into it and let go of all of the resistance, my anger vanished, my bitterness vanished, my resentment vanished. And what was left was like an emptiness. It, at first it felt weird and it was uncomfortable, but then now I can look at me like, that was the grace. That was the invitation into what was there all along. I don't know. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hundred percent tracking and let me, since we're always so good at, at 
channeling our, our Christian uh, formations that got us mm. to this point, because mm. I think we've both said it and we both agree that when we step into this more, well, for lack of different term, mystical spirituality, we start to go back to old things that we learned and they take on new life. And yes. the one that, yes. that really has spoken to me loudly is Jesus saying, I did at one time I went back and counted all the different references. I think it was like seven it, throughout the gospel accounts where he references to this idea, this philosophy that you have to die in order to gain life. You have to lose yes. your life in Ooh, order yeah. to gain life. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I'm understanding. What you're saying mm-hmm. is that it's a death. It mm-hmm. really is. And that is, again, to be clear, not to make light of suffering, of pain, but so often painful circumstances lead to a death. And through that death on the other side is this thing that was there all along. Like you're saying, Karen, this thing that is holding us together, this, this more expansive life force energy and to to go one step further with it is it's often this absence of everything else this void is another term used in spiritual circles right it's this Mm -hmm. void that we come to and like you said with the empty room it's like nothing really changed right Mm -hmm. the fundamental essence of the the source of our experience our awareness our consciousness hasn't changed and that is like an enlightening thing it's like oh my goodness this is so painful but as i let things go it's like that piece of our being becomes much 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 more prominent Mm -hmm. yeah it really is that idea that that suffering the mental suffering brings us to the end of ourself you know, and that can like push you over to what feels like death whenever you're just like, screw it, like take it. I don't even care anymore. Mm-hmm. And that can feel like such an, like an awful place to be, but then you do that and it's like, oh, okay. So that was it. Like, <laughs> Like there's this weird, this weird sort of like cathartic, energetic release that comes and in your mind, it's been built up to be this, like, this is going to be the worst thing ever. And then once you lean into that and you go there, there's can be such this crazy, strange freedom and peace on the other side. Yeah. And then it, you know, and then it ends up, you know, right. It's like the resurrection. I mean, it's a great example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this, you know, incredible suffering and it's really painful. And like, you go into this black, dark place and then you're like, oh, huh. Well, now I feel a lot better (laughs) just having admitted that I was done, admitted that I was at the end, admitted that I couldn't take this anymore. There can be a strange, yeah, just like a strange freedom and peace in that, even though it can feel empty, like, I think that the hard part is recognizing that that emptiness is actually peace. Mm-hmm. Reaching the end of yourself, letting go of all the striving. Yeah. Letting go of so many things does lead to peace. And 
the net's making me think of something else I, I had jotted down that I really wanted to, to touch on here. My own experience, what you just shared brings me to like the 12 steps of AA, right? Mm-hmm. That I think the first step is where we came to realize that our life was unmanageable. Exactly what you're saying. You, you reach the end and then there's this process of going through the, this, this shadow work, this surrender to a higher power, as they call it, all this very good spiritual work, but the starting point is reaching the end of ourselves. Anyway, so as you know, and I know I've talked about it on our podcast before, like one of my formative experiences in life was a struggle with alcohol and it led to a very, I call it acute suffering that helped me in the long run. It helped me a lot. It helped me wake up and reach the end of myself that then led me to emptiness and birthed an entire new way of being, which has been wonderful, obviously not perfect, but it's been great. But the thing I wanted to talk about is different. And it's that change between acute and we'll call it, what did I say? I think I wrote slow burn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Because so often we think of suffering, we think of this, the acute suffering. Someone's in the hospital, somebody died. Someone has a a huge addiction problem. All they're very acute. But the, the more realistic things are the, the day in and day out pain that we experience one way or another. And it's interesting. I, 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 I said to you before we started recording, I'm like, I think today might be therapeutic for me because I was thinking about this topic and I was like, all right, well, I've got all these acute things in my past that have helped me kind of learn how to weather storms. But what about what's happening now? And I'm like, well, life is fine. But then I'm like, wait, no, life is not fine. <laughs> and, and actually like something I've really had a hard time with just this, this past few days has been my kids. It, it has been really hard. I mean, for the record, and I, you know this, and if anyone listening isn't aware, I've got twins that are almost two and they are hitting the terrible twos solidly. Like like full on. So anyway, like it's, and, and I, I, I mean, my wife stays at home. I, I work mostly, but when I am taking care of them, it is just really hard tests, every fiber of patience in my body. So I, I would love to unpack that topic a little bit more, not specifically to parenting, but how do we handle these slow burn pains in our lives and use them to continue to grow, right. Rather than just be you know, complaining or being, or want to bypass, right. Cause that's a bypass for me. I'm like, oh, okay, I can't wait until these kids are four or five or six and we get through it. You know what I mean? So anyway, I, I think as I was reflecting, I think I thought that was a great example of, of more subtle, we'll call it maybe a subtle is a better word suffering that we experience. Yeah, for sure. I was, as you were talking about the terrible two, <laughs> the terrible twos, I was just thinking about how whoever coined the phrase, the terrible twos has never had a three-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Exactly so, what I needed to hear. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. At least in my experience, the threes were, the threes were worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and anyway, so it's interesting, like, okay. So with, for me, with alcohol, it was. I, I would never say it was easy. I mean, any addiction is not easy, 
but reaching the end of the road is so liberating because you're like, oh, you get this, this wave of like, I can't do this anymore. I need to do something about it. But with, you know, with these more subtle and slow burn, mm. difficult situations in life. I mean, the other one that comes to mind for me is work. Uh, mm. And I know you have your, your challenges there too, but, but all of these very subtle hardships in our lives, it's, it's harder to see that, right. It's harder to see like this point where we're like, I can't do this anymore because like you have to right? I mean, I can't just be right. like, I can't do this anymore. I, you have to keep, keep parenting um, mm-hmm. and keep working or, for yeah. most of us. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, that's a good example of, of COVID too, right? It's like, yeah. you know, you have times where you're like, oh my God, I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to deal with my kids being at home from school. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I cannot do another zoom meeting. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, but you have to, like, you have to get up mm-hmm. tomorrow and you have to do it. You know, you have to go through it it's hard because I think now where we are as just with technology and as a society, like you can have so many voices coming in and telling you what the right thing is to do with your kids. Right. It's like, let them cry. Don't let them cry. Give them this. Don't give them that be this kind you know, be an attachment based parenting. No, don't be too attached. Don't be a helicopter parent. Like there's so many conflicting, you know, so much conflicting information. I think we can probably even say, that's how a lot of people feel about COVID too, right? It's like, mm, you know, yeah. I mean, there's there's been all these memes lately about the CDC changing their recommendations <laughs> yeah. of what's okay, right? And you're like, yeah. wait a minute, yeah. last week, this is what we're supposed to do. This, like this week, yeah. now we do this, like, why is it changing? And it's the same thing with parenting, you know, something like they come, things come in and out of style. And for me, like I've been trying really hard to ground in that practice of, of now and to not resist. And also like, I'm really bad at projecting with my kids at thinking that, you know, the way that they're behaving in this moment, like if I don't do something, if I don't nip this in the bud right now, then it's going to be out of control right in like next week or in a year or when they're 16, you know, my mind easily goes down that path. And so I have to, I have to bring my mind back to like, okay, what's right now. And also just the important stuff is the whole spilled milk argument, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. know, is it really that big of a deal if my kids do this in the moment or sometimes, so I have three boys and I remember this one time, like so clearly it was so chaotic in my house. Like the kids are running up and down the stairs. They're, they're screaming and shouting. And I'm like feeling like a volcano, just like vibrating and being like, bah, like feeling myself about to explode. Mm-hmm. And fortunately something inside of me stopped and asked, is there actually anything wrong in this moment? Mm-hmm. And it's like, there wasn't, my kids were being super loud. They were, it, it was feeling really chaotic, but nothing was actually wrong. It was just loud. And it was a lot of energy around me that just my personality doesn't do well with. And so that was really helpful to me that I just was able to take a pause and to recognize they're being loud, but nothing is actually wrong. I'm just feeling overwhelmed and overstimulated by all the crap that is happening right now. And again, like just the, the, the grounding presence of being in the present moment and being able to discern what is 
like what is actually going on? Like, is there issues of control? I mean, cause that's the thing with kids, right? Is that you bring people into this world that are their own individual person and you cannot control them. I, I struggle with that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think overcoming this subtlety, I, actually, I don't want to say overcoming. I don't think that's a good word, but I think there's so much here to unpack. Uh, and again, not specific to parenting because that, that just happens to be my, my current subtle pain life yeah, experience, right? But, but I think, you know, with COVID, I mean, we're nearly two years into this thing, you know, this new strain, uh, Omicron is like, you know, where, where he hit record cases and lockdowns and mandates and all this stuff. So it's burning everybody out in, in one way or another, whether it's, again, whether it's acute suffering, a lot of acute suffering has been caused by COVID, but subtle suffering across the board for, for mm-hmm. everyone. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just thinking how, how good that can be to unpack and understand how can we use it as opportunities to, to grow rather than be like meaningless, right? It's just meaningless suffering. Because again, I I guess to reiterate, like it's really easy to see in our past, like, oh, this really, really hard thing that we encountered and how we grew from it. But the subtleties are are harder to see. Um, I mean, it does in a way, I think parenting and COVID, if nothing else, they have forced us to loosen our attachments Mm -hmm. to things. And, you know, so much of the suffering comes whenever we want to cling to that attachment. Right. And I mean, and I think of the school situation as, as a big one that I've seen like from a homeschooling perspective, you know, I don't have anything like against, against public school. I was raised in public school. I loved my public school experience. We're mostly homeschooling just because we like the freedom of being able to go and do things, whatever we want. But, you know, whenever everybody had to take their kids home, whenever the lockdowns happened, there was so much anger towards COVID and towards the school system, because, you know, the nice setup that we had where kids were, you know, were sent to school for eight to nine hours a day while the parents went to work, like all of that had been interrupted. And because we had been homeschooling and I could see how my friends were, were really suffering with this. It was interesting to see, you know, how much we as a society had gotten attached to the fact that you don't have to be physically responsible for your kids, Mm -hmm. you know, Monday through Friday from eight to four or eight to Mm -hmm. three, it really revealed that attachment to the system that we have as a, as a society, what, and also the identities that we had developed as a result of, of that, Mm. you know, that like, oh, well, when my kids are in school, I don't have to be a parent and I can just be me again. I don't have to be a mom. I can, I can revert to this identity of being the employee, the, the boss, the, you know, whatever their title, their job title was, you know, like I can be this. And whenever, as soon as their kids come back home, it's almost like a, 
like a reality check in a way of like, oh, well, you're not, you really can't be that scientist or that, you know, whatever your job title is like, you can't really be that because now you've got to be mom and calling into question the identities and labels that they had attached to themselves. You know, I can see that as being, as being a good thing, but I've had my identity called into question in the past and it's really, really hard. But I think that that's why for a lot of people, COVID kind of feels like like a wake up call Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of like, well, what exactly are we, what exactly are we doing? And is this really the way that life is meant to be lived? Mm -hmm. And also like, look at how much I really liked life before Mm -hmm. COVID. And is that a problem that I Mm -hmm. really want life to go back to the way that it was because it was comfortable and I had been attached to that. Yeah. It's definitely a wake up call and a a reevaluation. I think of what it is that we want out of life. And I think the other word arising as we talk about this is desire, right? Want, desire. Um, And that goes back to that Buddhist teaching that the root of suffering is desire. Mm -hmm. As you're sharing, and as I'm kind of pondering on my own life situation, a lot of it is I can see it clearly is in, in this desire. So for the example of the parents, they have this desire or expectation even mm-hmm. to that their nine to five is, is free from their kids and they do their own thing. That is what they want. Um, and then as soon as they don't get what they want, it creates suffering. I'm the same way. What do I want? Okay. I want... <laughs> I want kids that are compliant and will just kind of, they'll do their own thing. Um, they'll play independently when they want, maybe every once in a while, they'll come and sit on my lap and let me read them a book and mostly just exactly what I want. And then when I don't have the experience that I want out of it, I, I, I experience, uh, suffering. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really interesting as, as we unpack the, the subtleties of all of this is there's such wisdom in realizing that if we let go of these desires, these expectations for life to go a certain way, there's very little opportunity left for suffering because we are mm. okay. We're okay with whatever happens. And, and it's interesting. I like that this arises in our conversation because so much of what we talk about is presence and being in the moment. And this is different, but the same. It's Mm -hmm. different because it it isn't necessarily like, okay, let me just be here now. Mm -hmm. It is a, it is a, almost a, an analytical reflection asking, okay, well, what is, what is going on in my mind? What is it that I want? What are my desires? And kind of letting those go. And then where do you end up? Well, you end up in the present moment, of course, but it's almost like another, another, avenue to to become Mm. present is is evaluating what is it what are my expectations what are my desires in life and how are those bringing about hardship in my experience that's a really good point it's almost like a two-step like the first step is just being like okay let me ground myself in this moment and not be thinking of the past or thinking about the future and then it's another step to say i'm going to let go of any demands that I have or expectations that I have for what this moment should be like. 
you know, I'm going to, I mean, it's just an, I guess, another way of thinking about like not projecting into the future, but, but yeah, I think you're exactly right that whenever you can really truly get to a place of I'm okay with whatever happens, I'm okay with whatever this moment is, that is a difference apart from just saying, I'm going to be present, like allowing yourself to really truly be okay with it. And it's funny because there was a quote or something on one of the Facebook groups that we're in where the guy said that, was it Ramana Maharshi? One of those guys, you know, he was giving, he was giving a talk or something. And then like in the middle, he just stopped and he, and he got really quiet and he kind of like went off script, if you will. And I guess he leaned forward and he said to the people, he said, do you want to know what my secret is? And everyone's like, you know, listening and waiting with bated breath. Like, oh my gosh, we're going to hear, you know, this, like this guru's like ultimate secret to life. And he said, I'm perfectly okay with whatever happens. I make no demands of this, of this moment, mm-hmm. like whatever happens fine. It, it doesn't move me either way. It's like, that's, mm. that's true peace. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And what I love about that is there's nothing grandiose. There's nothing metaphysical mm-hmm. about it. it. Doesn't require there to be this God essence that's taking care of you. It doesn't require this path into universal consciousness, this non-dual essence. It, really, it's just good psychology, right? I heard, yeah. um, I forget where I heard this, but someone mentioned that perhaps Buddha was the greatest psychologist of all time. Hmm. And, and, and all really all the spiritual sages, they really understand what it takes to master our minds. And it does seem like that is the pattern to not make demands. I like how that's worded to not make Hmm. demands of what happens in life and just go with it. Just go with the flow of life and find that there is such peace in just letting it go and and realizing because again going back to what we talked about earlier the distinction between pain and suffering is, is so important because it's not like once we reach these these really pivotal enlightening experiences and and abide there it's not like pain ceases right mm-hmm, i mean mm-hmm. life is still hard we still go through stuff that is unpleasant but that resistance is gone and therefore the suffering is gone because we are just, we are accepting in each moment, whatever is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking like the baby is coming one way or another, like mm-hmm. <laughs> the baby, like life is, life is happening. Mm-hmm. Life is mm-hmm. happening, you know, regardless mm-hmm. of whether we're resisting or not. So, you know, stop resisting. I like do think death. like, what, like yes. death, you know, like yes. we have such a fear of death. Yeah. And yet it's going to happen unless, you know, some of these crazy billionaires get their way, right? <laughs> that aside, <laughs> right. like it, it's going to happen one way or another, we're going to die. And yet, yeah, there's such a, there is such a, a, an aversion, a resistance to that. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, with the parenting, the, this consciousness stuff has really just given me different ways of thinking about and looking at my kids. And sometimes particularly with, with one of my kids, um, I will sit there and I'll, you know, and I'll be watching and just like, 
Oh my God. I don't even know what's going on. But I, I, I think like this is consciousness expressing itself through my kid. Like, like, what is this? Like trying to, you know, and, and it's really just sort of these little tricks of trying to get myself to see beyond the immediate, you know, it's like, I've got, you know, one of my kids is extremely creative, but with that creativity comes a lot of mess. I mean, a lot of mess. There's like a hot glue lumps all over our tile and duct tape everywhere. And just like, I mean, it, it just is a disaster. But when I see his creativity, it's like, look at this inexhaustible desire to create this drive to create. And these tricks for me to really, truly see my children as as like this essence, like what is the essence trying to be expressed through them? For me, it's helpful because I think as, you know, as adults, we start labeling everything, right. And we try to like funnel ourselves into an expertise or something, but my, like right now, my struggle is what is the truest expression of who I am? And, and I'm struggling with that. I'm, I'm like, you know, striving to identify it and figure it out. And I think that a lot of people are right. Is like, you know, who am I? And like, what is wanting to, what do I have to contribute to life? Like what is trying to come out of me that I'm that, how can I allow it to come out of me? And here are our kids who don't have any of that resistance. My thing right now. And even with COVID is like, how can I see this as just it is what it is and drop all of those expectations and drop all of the the angst about it and be like okay this like it is what it is and how can I go with the flow of it because I I really do think like five ten twenty years from now people are going to look back and view COVID as like a defining moment in their life Mm-hmm. whether it was their job or their relationship with their kids or just like a coming, you know, a reality check for how they want to live their life. And it's really hard in the moment, but I, you know, it does seem like a lot of beautiful things that have come out of it, but how, you know, and how is our resistance to it? And just like with childhood, right. It's like, how does our resistance to our kids being kids just make everything worse? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, you you can replace your couches. You can replace your carpet. Just like you know, how can we stop being so resistant and let go of that, of that need to constantly be in control when mm-hmm. it's all just an illusion anyway. And, and I think one of the things that we struggle with is in the controlling is labeling it, labeling this mm-hmm. as this is good. This is bad. This is good. This is bad. It, whatever the situation is, it, we're, we're really good at that. Yes. <laughs> and I was listening to some Alan Watts at some point this past week. I love him. He, he just like totally puts me in a different planet of thinking, uh, just thinks outside the box. And he was talking about, he talks a lot actually about this concept of yin yang, you know, the symbol, right. That has oh, the white right, and the, yeah. the black. And he really, I first heard him lecture on it probably a year or two ago. And every once in a while, I'll go back and hear him talk about it. 
And it's so powerful, so simple and so powerful the way he frames it up is it's basically you cannot have one without the other. Mm -hmm. So you, you look at like your son, for example, as creative, the creative side is, is such a beautiful thing to see this creative expression through this small being that is the expression of consciousness of, of the Mm -hmm. divine reality of things. And yet the, the other side of it is the, the mess, right? The messiness of it. And that's just in one example, but everything in life has that, right? Mm-hmm. Water, water nourishes us and this is the most essential thing in our existence. And yet it destroys things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just, I, I think it, there's so much value in the way we go about these demands of, of how life should be if we just realize that there are two sides to everything, a good and a bad, a light and a dark, and you can't have light without dark. I mean, think about light. The, the very definition of light is would not, you wouldn't know what it means without <laughs> dark. Exactly. Yeah. So there, there's this constant. So, and how do we apply that to day-to-day life? Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of it is, is just stepping back and, and not labeling everything, like you said, and just realizing how things are and allowing them to be, this is what it is. And just, I think when we get to that point, it's almost like that wisdom comes to us differently. If that makes sense. Like, it's not like mm-hmm. you don't think your way into it. It's just, right. you, it, 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 beca- it reveals itself when we become still enough to see it. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the things, you know, with the parenting stuff that, that just came to mind is that it's so easy for us to get sucked into a way of thinking about how things have to be, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like with a school, like, you know, you put your kids in like kindergarten, first grade, second grade, they go up, they go through high school, then they go to college. And then after college, they get a job. Like it's all, you know, especially here in the West, like it's all very planned out. And it can be really hard to remember that it's only that way because we bought into that. Like if you go to South America or to an island in Fiji, or if you go to Mongolia, life isn't like that. I'm just reminded of my husband and I, we went on a, we went on a sailing trip to Grenada a couple of years ago. And, you know, we, we take our dinghy into this little dock and we get up there on the dock and there's these families that are fishing. And there's, and at the time we had young kids, I think Emmer, I think our youngest was two. Um, they weren't with us on the trip, but you know, so like, we're very much still in this like parenting, like really in it. And these families are there fishing off of the dock. And there's like this two or three-year-old, maybe even younger, like this little naked baby in a diaper running around with a knife. And the knife, like, you know, the, the parent like pulls the fish up on their line and the kid comes over and like starts trying to cut the fish's head off with the knife. And the parents are acting like this is totally normal. And Matt and I both are like, oh my God, like we would never give our two-year-old a knife, but it's a different way of living. Right. And, you know, and you see this, I think like that's, you know, that's one of the beauties of traveling, right. Is that you get exposed to different ways of parenting and being. And, and sometimes I can really get caught up, especially with the homeschooling thing. I think, 
oh my God, are we preparing our kids enough to have a job? Are they, are they really going to be able to, you know, to have a good career and make enough money and everything? And I'm like, you know what, for all I know, they could go to Costa Rica and be like a surfing coach. And that is what their career ends up being. And they could have a perfectly fine, satisfying life. And so in a way, like some of what, you know, COVID has been for me is really made me confront the fact that I do have this very, like this expectation of what life is going to be like and what I think a good life is. Mm -hmm. But it's funny because what we think a good life is or would look like for our kids, there's lots of people that are living that life right now that are miserable Mm -hmm. and hate their lives and never see their spouses, never see their kids have a lot of mental suffering. And it's like, are we really setting our kids up? for success. If that's what we're, if we have all these, you know, people, you know, in their thirties, forties, fifties that are wondering like what life is all about. We easily get caught up in, in our expectations for, for what and how life should be and letting ourselves be open to the fact that there's lots of good ways to live a good life and lots of good ways to have a peaceful life. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, with the yin and the yang, like the you know, thinking about the people that live in the, in the Arctic, right? Like they have entire days of sunlight and it's devastating to them in mm. some ways. Like it is, mm. that's a really hard way to live. Cause we weren't designed to live that way, but then we also weren't designed to live completely in the dark either. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's exactly like you're saying, but not getting ourselves caught up in the, in the, in the belief that this is the right way to be that mm. being in the light all the time is the right way to be, is the best way to be. It's like, it's not, there's, you really do need to allow yourself to be more fluid and more open to all the possibilities and recognizing that there's nourishing aspects tonight as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing that's coming to mind as you share this uh, identity and, and understanding what we expect of others and what we expect of ourselves, what we think is expected of us. This word cultural conditioning, this book I listened to. Yeah. This book I listened to a while back. um, It's by this guy, Bernardo Castrup. Karen, I've mentioned him to you before, but uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've mentioned him on the podcast. He's a very, very, very smart guy. He speaks about, non-dual um spirituality a lot but from a very like academic kind of way i mean he's yeah i won't i won't belabor who he is too much but anyway he talked about this cultural conditioning idea and how through this this path that people like you and i are on and and hopefully people listening of of letting go of certitudes and kind of a living a more surrendered life one of the things that we're letting go of is cultural conditioning and you can never fully let go of it, but it it has less of a grip on your lives. And something that's arising as a specific for cultural conditioning is something that my wife Liz and I experienced probably about a year and a half ago, early in COVID we were out for a walk. And I think I was, I was, like in between, or I wasn't in between jobs, but I was looking for a new job and she and I were out for a walk and we were talking about the potential of this new job. It would be a good job. And, um, the commute would be longer though. So I would have to give up a little bit of time at home. 
And I'll never forget it, but we were out walking together with the kids, with our dog. And like, it's almost like both of us had this epiphany moment at once. It was like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Like, what is the point? And it was in hindsight, it was beautiful because it was us kind of waking up to the reality of like our, so we're, we're like, you know, early thirties, our life to this point, we've just been following this mold this cultural conditioning type of mold. Mm-hmm. Why, what, what, why are we doing that? And so I just wanted to bring it to that, to, to play off of what you're saying is, and, and, and especially for anyone listening to this is if you haven't taken this COVID chaos and use it as an opportunity to, to ask those questions, I would highly encourage you to do that because it, it's so, it's so enlightening to, to realize and reflect upon what are the motivations that are driving whatever it is, whether it's your life situation where you are today, for me, for us, it was like career success. It was financial stability. It was having a home, living in a neighbor, having a nice home, living in a neighborhood that is in a good school district, all of these things. And then all of a sudden we're just like, but why? Um, so anyway, all that to say is now, you know, a year and a half later, we're, we're probably going to move uh, before too long and, and just kind of have a little bit of a reset of like what it is that we're doing in life. Not easy, right? Not easy to make big changes, but really looking at it, at trying to take more of a blank canvas to life and just allow life to unfold day by day rather than follow this big grandiose plan of, of how the culture tells us our life should go. Mm-hmm. I think that's an excellent place to, um, you know, to wrap this up is that, you know, in the beginning, we were talking about this, this suffering that we can sort of unintentionally bring upon our own selves, right. With our own thoughts Mm -hmm. and, and that kind of thing. But then what you sort of tapped into just now is that there is a sort of suffering that we can experience that we aren't even aware of that is the pressures that we probably like subconsciously feel to conform to a particular way of being. And it's not until something like COVID happens or yeah. And you know, something that you're like, wait a minute, why, like, what are we doing? Like, we don't have to live this way. And obviously there's, there's consequences to moving and finding a new job. And obviously there's other, you know, real life, real life things, but just that awareness of like, hang on a second. Like, what, what, what are we doing with our life? And it, you kind of brought it from like the individual thoughts that you have in your mind to kind of like the way of living that is culturally conditioned that at any point you could say, I'm going to, you know, maybe we want to step outside of this and do things a little bit differently. And yeah, you're right. COVID has been an excellent opportunity that a lot of people I think have been challenged to look at their own lives and to say, wait a minute, is this the way that we want to continue living? Mm-hmm. It's a good place to, to wrap up. Is this, I mean, I guess like two questions, right? Is this the way that we want to continue thinking? <laughs> you know, do we want to, do we want to continue thinking and believing that we are our thoughts and continue, you know, in this place of mental suffering and mm-hmm. then take it to a broader perspective of, you know, is, is this how we want to continue living life? And just even sitting with the question of mm-hmm. that. And, and asking the questions, you know, where, where is this desire coming from? 
where is the motivation coming from? And really, yeah, sitting with that, because again, as, as I, as I just alluded to, and, and more and more people are waking up to, like, we have a lot of these quote unquote desire and motivations that are kind of programmed into us <laughs> in various mm-hmm. ways, or we have these want these desires that we think we have thoughts that come and, and, um, uh, can, can lead us down slippery roads. So yeah, mm-hmm. just taking the time to sit with and ask those questions and can be so helpful. And I'm yeah, sensing think- a, uh, uh, I'm sensing a, uh, an, or a, a continuation of this, uh, topic and theme here too, right? I think we really stuck on something or struck on something good here that mm-hmm. I think we can drill into maybe from some different angles next time. Yeah. I just, I just had observing of thoughts and mm-hmm. observing of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That that's kind of, kind of where we've, where we've landed here at the end. Mm-hmm. Oh, this was really good. This gives me yeah. some, some things to think about too. Or not think about. Or not think about. <laughs> <laughs> or observe as you think about it. There you observe. go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, really good stuff. Okay. Well, uh, again, thanks everybody for listening to be clear. If you're going through any sort of acute, painful life circumstance, uh, as always, we are more than happy to, to have a conversation. Um, especially for anyone who's feeling alone with no one to talk to. Um, and you happen to find this podcast, uh, feel free to reach out or you can, you can reach us, uh, through email at, uh, from believing to being at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, I just would encourage anybody listening to ask these questions, reflect on your life situation, reflect on your thoughts and, um, just see where it goes. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you guys next time.